Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the BitCast. Today, I am having a Fire Emblem-esque tea time with one of my Fire Emblem-playing friends. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Minute Rice. I'm sadly not drinking tea. What are you drinking? Uh, Topo Chico, actually. Mineral water. The idea is that this is kind of like an aimless round table tea time discussion, except now it's more of a tea mineral water time discussion. Yes. And the conversation is getting lively, as Joe Zija would say. <laughs> I need to watch more of his streams. Yeah, he's kind of where I got the idea for this episode. <laughs> Joe Zija is a treasure. He is. Minute Rice was drawn into the conversation. Wow! And then when this is all over, we can just kind of stare awkwardly close at each other, even though we're calling over Discord. Yep. I mean, I I could always turn on screen share, or not screen share, uh, the video option. That. You could, but I'm just looking at Audacity right now. So (laughs) anyway, this is kind of an aimless Fire Emblem discussion, because it's a series that there's a lot to talk about. There's 16 games, so yeah, there is a lot (laughs) to talk about. Uh, There will be intermittent spoilers for different games so keep that in mind now though i have asked minute rice to go easy on three houses spoilers if i do mention anything specific it'll be limited to part one because i'm pretty sure everyone who has this game has played through part one at least once by this point yeah i'm okay with like uh edelgard's route getting spoiled since i've played that one but if other people aren't there's your warning just in case but, uh, yeah, Fire Emblem. So, what what's new with you in Fire Emblem? You tell me you've been playing uh, more of Three Houses. Uh, yeah, that's been a constant adventure since that game came out, just because it's so massive. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, you, you gotta play it three and a half times. Four if you're stupid like me and didn't make a save during the Black Eagles route. Yep. Yeah, and then I've, I've also lately been taking up Fire Emblem 1 to kind of get back to the series' roots. Let me give you a pro tip. Don't do that. (laughs) Play Fire Emblem 3 or Fire Emblem 11, but do not play Fire Emblem 1. (laughs) 11 11 is like the remake of the original, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 3 is also a remake of the original, and it is also a sequel to the original. Fire Emblem 3 is weird. So how does that work? In Fire Emblem 3, it's split into two books. Book 1 is a remake of the first game. A trimmed-down remake, they cut five chapters and several characters, but it's still a remake of the first game. And then book two is all the new content that acts as a sequel. And then book two actually did get its own remake in the form of Fire Emblem 12. So, there's that. Yeah, it's kind of weird that remakes are in the numbering. Mm-hmm. Like, so you never really know the chronology unless you're... The reason they do that is because... Each of the remakes adds new systems, things that they've learned from the previous games. You can look at, like, Echoes and Gaiden, and yeah, they are very, very close, but there's also a lot of differences, a lot of things where you can see the team was willing to experiment. And now that Three Houses is out, you can see how a lot of the experiments from Echoes carried over, like combat arts and things like that, and forging. And giving every character a one-liner as soon as you select them. Yep. Because much like Echoes, Three Houses is also fully voiced, which is a treasure. Every mimetic line from that game has been said out loud by a person. Kill every last one of them! 
I was thinking more like the incidental dialogue. <laughs> but yeah, cutscenes, they, they'd better be fully voiced. Greetings, Professor. <laughs> I am Ferdinand von Eyre. <laughs> yeah, Ferdinand is a treasure. Like, he's one of those characters that seems really, really one-note, but the more you see of him, the more interesting he gets. Yeah, actually. I was, uh, I had a bit of a guest spot, that's that's putting it generously, but, uh, Thither is a YouTube channel. He usually talks about uh, Persona and Shin Megami Tensei stuff, but he talks about Fire Emblem sometimes. And I had about maybe two minutes worth of airtime gushing over Ferdinand, basically. Nice. And yeah, it's fair. He's, he's interesting, especially his support with Dorothea, where they kind of reveal their somewhat shared history that gives you a real insight into the, the kind of life that Dorothea lived before she became a songstress, and that... It was it was really good for both of them. Oh yeah, that their A support was really poignant for me, especially because that was one of the last ones I saw before the end of the game. Oh, and their support yeah. was one of the first ones I saw when I played. <laughs> nice. So it kind of bookended the whole thing. Yeah. Speaking of, what did you think of the Crimson Flower route? Because I have my own thoughts, but I would like you to share first. Okay. Well, I, I did talk about this route more extensively in a previous bit, but I'm, I've, I've also had more time to go over it. Well, first of all, I played it before they patched Yuritsa back into the game. This is fair, yeah, as did I. So I never got to play with him. I feel like I kind of made a mistake. <laughs> I feel you there. I really do. It's like, oh no, I'm on the evil route. <laughs> Well, for me, it wasn't just being able to join the bad guy, which is a novel concept for Fire Emblem. I know Conquest tried it, but it kind of tripped over its own feet and couldn't really deliver that. Crimson Flower, it's a mess in its own special way, but at least it delivered the feeling of you are fighting on the bad guy's side. Yeah, now, now to be completely fair, like, Edelgard does have, like, worthy, valid criticisms. Oh, yeah. But the way she goes about it... Actually, I don't know who said this, but one of my Fire Emblem friends was saying that the entire route could be summarized as calm down, Edelgard. Yeah. But Edelgard falls into a, a modern trend of villains who have their motivations deeply fleshed out that you really can care about if you try. And I, I like that about her. And Fire Emblem really really needed that right now, because the last, like, three games have all had really shallow villains. Even Echoes fell into that trap, and I think it's the best written of the 3DS games. Uh, who in Echoes are you referring to, specifically? I am specifically referring to, um, what's his name? Jetta? Yes, Jetta. Jetta. I'm specifically referring to Jetta. I did not find him a particularly compelling character. I think if they didn't make him blue, it would have been... All right. It would have been better, but he's still not particularly well fleshed out. He is a fanatic, and that's about all the characterization he gets. He does sincerely believe in what he's doing. This is true. But again, it's a very shallow, surface-level kind of belief. I am willing to forgive it because the main characters of that game are really well fleshed out, and there's a lot going on for it, but if there's something i got to criticize Echoes for, besides Selica being an idiot in Act 4... It's the villains. Oh, I think Burkut was pretty good. Yes. You're right. You're right. I can't believe I forgot about Burkut. I feel bad now. 
You're not the first one to forget about Burkut. There's also his uncle. <laughs> oh, oh my heart. Ow. Ow. <laughs> You're right. But yeah, no, Burkut's rivalry with Alm and his slow degeneration as he keeps losing. Like That was one of the things I really appreciated about Burkut was that in these games, you kind of have the expectation that as the player, you're always going to win. And so Berkut kind of explores what that actually does to a villain who's on the other side of that. And I, I thought that was good. And if I'm not mistaken, Berkut is a brand new character to the 3DS version of the game. He wasn't in Gaiden. Yes, they made him up for Echoes. And honestly, the game is better for it. It, it lends Alm's side of the story a bit more of a through line. Honestly, I think Selica's side could have also used a Burkut-like character. Yeah, I do think that in some ways her story was a bit of an afterthought. Yeah, well, if you look, at it follows the exact same pattern it did in Gaiden. Like, it hits all the same beats. That's one of the things that I really find fascinating about Echoes, is that even though it's so much more fleshed out, it hits all of the same beats, like, without fail. It, it, it is telling that in 2017, they really thought we could be swayed by the whole, oh, why can Alm carry the royal sword? I guess we'll never know. <laughs> uh, it was pretty obvious, yeah. Like, they, they didn't even try with Selica. I think they just, I think they realized it, so they just, yeah, let's just make it obvious with her. Yeah. With that intro with Slade in the beginning that they added. Yeah, but it works. I, As much as that intro is really, really slow and leaves you a lot of time not playing the game, I still appreciate all the stuff it sets up for that story. Yeah. That And it gives you a lot of time to bask in the full voice acting, which, considering that that was a first for Fire Emblem at the time, oh man. I feel like of the 3DS Fire Emblems, Echoes does have the strongest presentation. Oh, without question. The UI, the graphical design, the art direction it's all gorgeous like i really think echoes pushed the 3ds as hard as that little system could go well i had some gripes with the gameplay i think in most of the other respects it probably was a good send-off before moving on to the switch yeah i don't know i really like the gameplay but i do get the issues because it is so strongly based in gaiden including ways that are not so good <clears throat> map design my biggest gripe is the very limited inventory. Yeah, that that's also a carryover from Gaiden, and that is something I think... I think if they'd added even one more inventory slot, they could have opened up more strategic possibilities for the game. Yeah, that would have been nice. Especially with combat arts. Like, imagine carrying two weapons and having access to all of their combat arts at once, but using a combat art for your for your off weapon will automatically equip it. Something like that, you know? Things to think about. That would have been cool. I do like how they changed combat arts between Gaiden, well, Echoes, and Three Houses, because I, I almost never used combat arts in Echoes, because I thought, well, I don't really want to risk the hit points, because I'm, yeah. I'm a generally defensive player in Fire Emblem. So speaking of uh, combat arts, have you tried maddening mode yet? Uh, no, because I, I'm, I'm what you call a fake baby gamer. <laughs> So I, I'm in the middle of a maddening mode run right now, and let me tell you, combat arts go from good to absolutely necessary in maddening oh, I, mode. Oh, I, 
I've heard the legends. I have, like, my, my other Fire Emblem playing friend, he, like, he put himself through maddening mode. I, I am doing it right now. I'm actually really enjoying it. Like, I wasn't expecting that because I really hate Lunatic Awakening. Like, it is one of the most unpleasant things I've ever done with the series. But Maddening Mode, once you get over the hurdle of Chapter 2, it really starts opening up because that's when you start acquiring more options, more gambits, more combat arts, uh, better abilities to build under your units. And you start getting your tools and you start applying them in ways that make you feel like you're overcoming the game. And it's really satisfying. Yeah, I'm not really one for that kind of challenge, but I'm glad that it exists for people who like it. Yeah. I will I will say this, the main thing with Maddening is that it it really makes you consider all of the new tools that Three Houses brought to the table. Because I feel like in hard mode and normal you can just you can play it like a normal Fire Emblem game without you really considering combat arts, gambits or any of that stuff. Unless you're fighting monsters in which case you better use gambits, but with maddening mode, you really do need to take all of those things into consideration in order to have a good time with it. Uh, I will say that after playing the... Well, see, well, after playing the uh, Crimson Flower route, I decided to play Blue Lions and Golden Deer simultaneously. I'll do a couple chapters of one, do a couple chapters of the other, and just kind of alternate for a while. Yeah, that and that's not the best of ideas because... The part one maps are all the same, so... Well, I'm not... well I kind of see it as a way of, oh, okay, how can I do the map this time or something? This is fair. And and I'm also kept engaged because, oh, this time I have Lorenz on my team. Oh, this time I have Felix on my team, even though I eventually recruited a lot more people yeah. anyway. But... Generally speaking, I really do like how Three Houses encourages multiple playthroughs. Because it means that if you play through all of the routes, you're pretty much guaranteed to use all of the cast at one point or another. And I don't think there's really a lot of other Fire Emblem games like that. The only ones I can think off the top of my head are Echo's Gaiden and Fire Emblem 4. And the only reason the only reason those games you could use the entire cast is because the maps let you deploy everyone in those games. But Three Houses does it differently, and I, I really appreciate it. But going back to uh, my experience with challenges in Three Houses is well, uh, while I was doing while I was doing both those routes, uh, I got as far as uh, Remire Village in uh, Blue Lions, and I'm almost there in Golden Deer. I think a at this point, I I've actually started engaging the Death Knight now. When before in the first route, I'd just avoid him because I knew it was going to be really hard. But now I've been finding ways to take him down. Yeah, there, the game does give you a surprising, a surprising amount of tools. Night Kneeler is a pretty good one for your Lance users. Oh, and then if you have Lysithia, yeah. Death Spikes is like a delete button. Or Dark Spikes, I mean. <laughs> yeah, so I, I want to talk about some of my Death Knight experiences. The first time I actually tried to fight him was in, uh, I, I think it was the Golden Deer version of Chapter 4. I just had to have everyone, like in the corners around him and gambiting him over and over to chip damage just so that he wouldn't counterattack. Like, then Lysithia came in with a dark spell, and she didn't have dark spikes yet, she just had a different spell. And, like, she got him, but he also got her, but it, it's on casual mode because I'm a fake gamer, so she'll be fine. <laughs> but then, then Byleth had to come in with a final gambit to finish him off, and I was just like, 
Ooh, that was messy. But then the next time, I actually did have dark spikes, except i have been so good at the map that there was one guy left alive besides Death Knight anyway that I was just like, okay, quick, paralyze that guy so he can't fight so I can still use death spikes on this guy. <laughs> nice. Then, uh, Blue Lion's route, I, I skipped him the first time. Second time, I had, I had Shamir snipe at him from a distance. Mm-hmm. But he has counterattack, so he'll attack you back anyway. Yeah, but sh- she was able to take it, and I, I had to get, I had to do some like clever movements with Annette and Mercedes to heal her back up, so she could finish her finish him off. And that was the fastest I'd completed that map, except I didn't get the thing that increases your move speed. So now to do is still slow. Oof. Oof. And then in Remire Village, like Dimitri just chatted him up with the with the night kneeler. Nice. Like, Dimitri's on roid rage that entire chapter, so just him going to town on the death knight. Nice. Right? Yeah, my, my experience with that particular character, in Crimson Flower, I avoided him all three times. <laughs> I was like, nope, not even going to touch that. And then, yeah, yeah. when I played Golden Deer, I was playing New Game Plus, and I'm like, you know what, I've got Lysithia, I know she learns Dark Spikes because I used it a lot in Crimson Flower because I recruited Lysithia for that route. So I power-leveled her reason to get it up to B before Chapter 4, and I, I got it during that chapter. Like, that's how tight it was. <laughs> and then, so I wiped him out. I did have to chip him first, because at that early point in the game, Lysithia's magic isn't high enough to one-shot him. Yeah. So you do have to chip him first, but Dark Spikes deals so much damage, you don't need to hurt him that bad. Usually one or two gambits will get him low enough. And then I proceeded to destroy him each time he appeared. In fact, there's one chapter in the Golden Deer post-skip, no story spoilers, obviously, but he appears on a map, and I cleared it in two turns because he was the boss, and it was a kill-boss map, and I'm like, huh, Lysithia's close enough to reach him if I dance, and she's got Thursus, which gives her plus two magic range, which is insane, and Dark Spikes, so I'm like, well, I'll just go one-shot him. Map's over. And then... On my Blue Lions run, in Chapter 4, I ran around him. Because in Maddening Mode, he moves. Which means you have to stay out of his range. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not dealing with this. I don't have enough Night Kneelers. I just, I I can't beat this guy. So I just went around him and beat the chapter without touching him. However, I recruited Lysithia immediately. And I got her Dark Spikes up by the time he reappeared in Chapter 6. And I just finished that chapter like 30 minutes ago. So I, I haven't had my third encounter with him on Manding Mode, and it's honestly the one I'm dreading the most, because it's the one where he's actively moving instead of waiting for you to come into his range. You almost don't want to kill the boss right away, I feel like, because it, it is kind of fun to just cheese everything, but then it's like, yeah, but there there goes some experience, I guess. Yeah. Well, here, here's the catch. I was playing New Game Plus, which uh, trivializes the difficulty. Like, I was still playing hard mode, because this was before Maddening came out. What well, what it is, what New Game Plus does, you keep all of the statue boosts that you spend the Renown on, and then you can spend your Renown to earn other things like Professor Rank and Skills. The only thing I did with Renown, besides the statues, was getting Professor Level A-plus at the beginning of the game, which felt great for all of two chapters, and then it started getting really repetitive. That's, that's the thing. I spent most of my Renown to recruiting the Black Eagle students. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that is another thing I, you could do with it. I can't I can't kill them. They're my children. 
Yeah, what what I did with a lot of the uh, units that I didn't recruit on Golden Deer was I just kind of tended to try to avoid them. Like, I spared as many as I could on the maps. Yeah, I I wanted to do that when I played Crimson Flower, but it just wouldn't let me. There were, Yeah, there are a lot of cases where it just won't let you. There, There is one that I killed because I didn't fight them the right way mm-hmm. and I, I will forever be upset about that to the point where I almost want to replay Crimson Flower just Who to was fix it? that mistake. Uh, okay, well, since I said spoilers are allowed, it was Claude. Oh! Yeah, I, I attacked him with Edelgard specifically so I could spare him. Yeah, I didn't know. I thought, oh, maybe it'll just be a cutscene or something. I didn't think it mattered, because that's the same trap I fell into in the final boss of Awakening, where it's like, no, no, Krom, don't don't let him fight the boss. Make only Robin do it. And then it was a cutscene anyway, so I, I was expecting something like that. Yeah, no, Three Houses does occasionally do things like you have to actually manage your gameplay in order to get certain story outcomes, which I honestly feel is a better way of handling it overall. Yeah, it's just the series had already conditioned me to expect it the other way around. This is fair. I I don't know actually how I knew to do that. I think I heard it from like a Discord server I'm in. Might have been. So I, I think that's how I figured it out, and I'm like, yeah, I want to spare Claude. Yeah, like, you know, it's my head cannon that he just pretended to die, and he he's still he can just kind of secretly went away. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Claude, I actually have played Golden Deer all the way through. That was my new game plus run. Okay. In terms of story, I actually liked it less than Crimson Flower, which is saying something because I think Crimson Flower is a rushed mess. Yeah, uh, I've I've heard Golden Deer is more about the world building than about the characters. You see. I would appreciate it if that were true, but all the world building is saved for an exposition dump at the very end of the game. I don't like that. So, without getting into spoilers, basically what Golden Deer is, is you're going through and you're pursuing an objective that doesn't really relate to Claude's character very much, and then you complete that objective, and then another one pops up completely out of left field, and then you get that objective, and then the final boss shows up, with no fanfare, no build-up, no introduction, he just comes out of nowhere, and then the game's over, and it's like, huh, I feel really empty right now. I, I did hear that the the secret fourth route of the game is basically the same as the Golden Deer route, but just you don't have Claude with you. I, I've heard that as well, and so I'm kind of dreading it, but that's that's for after my Blue Lions run. I've heard very consistently that Blue Lions is by far the best route in terms of story, so we'll see. What I was saying about the the church route, though, is that since it's similar to the Golden Deer route, and you made it sound like a lot of stuff was just stapled onto the end of that one, I wonder if they wrote the church route first, or, or at least before some of the other routes. It's very possible. I have heard from some people who have played all four routes that Church Route is one of the ones that you could feasibly play first and have a really complete understanding of the story. Like, for the recommendations I've heard from people who've beaten the game, like all the routes, are that you should either play Church or Blue Lions first. So, and I I feel that, because when I was playing through Crimson Flower and we got up to Dimitri's whole sequence, I felt like I was missing a lot of context because I had nothing on Dimitri's character. Like, I really feel like you were meant to play Blue Lions before Crimson Flower. Just by playing Crimson Flower first. 
because all this stuff happens, and I'm like, I don't know why this is important. Well, I think that it actually goes back into why like it invites replayability. It's like, oh, what's up with Dimitri? Better go play his route. The, the thing for me is, when it got to that point, I felt like the story was trying to pull a reaction out of me, but because I didn't have the basis of knowledge that that reaction, or that they're trying to pull on, I couldn't get the intended reaction. I, I could not get emotional over it. Yeah, but it's, there's, the game is exactly the same if you had played his route first, so there's really nothing they could have done because I mean, they, there was a timeline where you did play Lions first and then you saw that scene and then you'd have... They could action. have locked Crimson Flower behind completion of Blue Lions. It's not like Fire Emblem is a stranger to that. Fire Emblem 7, uh, the alternate Hector mode is locked behind Elliwood mode, so you have to beat the game once in order to unlock Hector mode. So, uh, I guess oh, yeah, that, that, that's one way they could do it. Yeah, it just seems like alternate routes is just kind of a mess. Like even even when they do it, uh, well, right, I guess, or in a way that doesn't invite as much criticism, there's still a lot of kinks in the armor. Yeah, no, they still have yet to figure out how to do a diverging routes style of game. Because from what I understand of Three Houses, the only one that's actually really, really amazing is Blue Lions. All of the other routes have their issues. And honestly, I think Golden Deer is the one that really disappointed me the most, because I think Claude is a really interesting character. There's a lot going on with him, a lot with his backstory that I won't spoil, that really helps flesh him out and motivate him. And then the story he gets has nothing to do with any of that. And it's like, what a wasted opportunity. I've noticed a consistent thing with our Fire Emblem discussions where you zero in more on the story and I'm more in the into the characters. And in my experience with the Blue Lions and the Golden Deer is that while I haven't gotten to a lot of the story-specific stuff, I'm still in the school year, so this could all change over time, but I kind of, a- apart from Dimitri, I kind of have a little bit of dread going back to the Blue Lions because... Okay, Dimitri and Felix, I guess. But, like, most of the Blue Lions just kind of bore me, or they don't do enough. But then over in the Golden Deer file, it's like, oh, Lawrence, he's such a card. Oh, I love the Golden Deer cast so much. They are all wonderful characters. Like, Hilda is lazy, but has, like, that really strong, caring heart underneath of that. But she's also a manipulative word I'm not going to use on this podcast. And then there's Lysithia, who's like, she wants to be seen as mature, and inadvertently acts immature, and she's like very dead serious, but she's also kind of a bully, and it's like, there's so many facets to this. And then Raphael, who's, yeah, all muscles and eating, but he's also a sweetheart. This got cut off when I was doing the episode with my other friend, but Ignatz is kind of funny, because throughout the school year when I played Crimson Flower, he was the student I just kept forgetting existed. <laughs> And then, because I recruited uh, Leone, it meant that Ignatz was the first enemy student I encountered in the time skip. Oh. And I was like, oh, oh no, I'm sorry, yeah, I forgot you, I, I didn't mean to. I had that experience. I, I also had to kill Leone in that chapter because I didn't recruit her. That that didn't feel good. Actually, Leone, Leone almost wrecked that map for me because she showed up and my formation was so bad. And I'm like... Oh no, how am I going to deal with this? She brought a lot of scary dudes with her. Ah! 
Yeah, just of all people, it had to be the guy I kept forgetting. It's like, are you trying to tell me something? Yeah, I, I left a bloodbath in my wake on Crimson Flower, and I don't feel good about it. At the very least, I spared Ignatz. I, I didn't. Like, I don't think I spared anyone. I shouldn't have spared him, because he kept going after us, and he knocked Hubert out. Oof. Yeah. That was... Oh man, that, that chapter was... That was a kick in the teeth, because it was so much harder than the pre-skip chapters. Welcome to the war! Yeah. I, I will say this about Crimson Flower. While the story may be really iffy because of its extremely rushed pacing, the levels were, without fail, amazing to play. Like, I really looked forward to playing each of the main chapters because they all had something to offer that was just... I, I couldn't get enough. What I find interesting is they really limit the amount of students you can recruit in the future, and it, it just seems kind of arbitrary at times, though I can probably understand why they... I, I feel like they want you to have a bit of regret... For, well, you didn't recruit them, now they're your enemy. Yeah, no, that that is the general feel they're going for. Is that war sucks, and you're never going to come out of it feeling 100% okay. And even on the routes that fail narratively, they still get that idea across, which is really something special. But they were at least merciful and gave you at least one character you could still recruit from an enemy army. The arbitrariness comes from the fact that it's specific characters. It's like, why this character? Why this character? Well, Why this one? I know that with Lysithia and Crimson Flower, because I know you actually can recruit her post-skip, the reason is because she just she has a background very similar to Edelgard's. So. Yeah, okay. She, she makes sense. And maybe maybe the other two will make sense if I get to them. But uh, well, You want me to tell you go what ahead. I think it is? I, I finished that okay, route, so uh, go ahead and tell me. I think you could have recruited Ash. Oh. I, I specifically avoided going anywhere near him because I felt bad about killing him in my Crimson Flower route. Oh, yeah. Because he showed up on the final map in that route, and he was in my way, and I'm like, oh, man, i got to take him out if I want to make any progress in this direction. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> well, that makes it sound like I was there with you. That's weird. But you remember that map. Yeah, I was, I was there too, and I thought, well... We killed a lot of blue lions today, but now it's all over. Oh, doggone it, why are you two here? Yeah. Because Annette was there too. I recruited Annette specifically because I, I went after uh, Mercedes. I wanted her on my team, and she was a great mm -hmm. healer, especially post-skip. But then I knew that she was friends with Annette, so I'm like, well, I'll go ahead and recruit Annette too, just to make Mercedes happy. So I, I didn't have to worry about that. I didn't actually use Annette. But I recruited her. I am using her. Join now, my though. class or you'll die. <laughs> yeah. So in, in, out of the blue lions, Sylvain was the sole survivor because I recruited him at the very start of the game. Were you playing a female Byleth? Uh, yeah, I was. I, I love that detail about him. Where if you pick a, if you pick a female Byleth, he'll just instantly join you. Yeah, yeah, Sylvain is a fixture in my game. Like, he was the honorary ninth Black Eagle before Flame was. Yeah, I, I recruited him both in uh, my Black Eagles run and in my Golden Deer run because I played female Byleth in both of those. 
So I'm like, you might as well. <laughs> I, I use him less because he was just always around in the Black Eagles route. Yeah, I, I actually made him a mage on my Golden Deer route just because I could. I heard he's not a bad mage. No, he's not bad. He's not great, and he is way overshadowed by both Lysithia and Marianne, but he 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 did work for me. I enjoyed it, but at the same time, though, I'm talking about my new Game Plus file where I just, my eyes started glazing over and I just kind of started going through autopilot, and it still worked. And mind you, I'm one of those people, because I started Fire Emblem before casual mode was a thing, I always play classic because that's what I'm used to. And the fact that I could go autopilot on a mode where death is permanent, I think kind of says something about what New Game Plus does to the experience, at least for me. I know there are people out there who really like it, and more power to them. It's just, it's not for me. Has anyone ever said more power to you and then agreed with what they're doing? No. <laughs> no. But for... it's, just, it's just an observation, I know this. Yeah, for me, I'm just trying to express the sentiment. I understand, but it, it I don't. I don't want to play that way. Well, I feel like you you kind of you were trying to make one point, but then you turned it into a casual classic point. That's fair. I, I didn't mean to do that. I'm just saying that I play what I'm used to. Well, to get away from Three Houses for a bit, I have a friend who uh, has been streaming a playthrough of Sacred Stones. I haven't played that game through in years. I have played it, obviously, but... I haven't made it to all his uh, sessions with the game, but I have I've learned quite a bit about it. I also have a friend who wrote this big long fan fiction that merges Sacred Stones and Fates together in a way. So I'm I'm a little familiar with some of the names of the game okay. and the general premise, I think. Yeah, when I think about Sacred Stones though, I, I think more about the mechanics of that game and Specifically how easy it is. Like, I, for for frame of reference, Sacred Stones was my second Fire Emblem game, and I played it immediately after 7. And even then, when I was still god-awful at the series, and oh man, I was so bad in that first playthrough. Even then, I noticed the significant downgrade in difficulty between the two games. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Sacred Stones is actually one that I would recommend to a first-timer because of its lower difficulty. I feel like with Fire Emblem, the best first-timer games are like Sacred Stones for its lower difficulty, Seven for its in-depth tutorial, and Awakening for just how friendly it can be. You wouldn't include like the remake of the first game? Eh, because it has a lot of quirks in it, it can be difficult, and it doesn't have a casual mode, but then again, neither does Seven or Sacred Stones, but I don't know. I haven't really played Shadow Dragon, personally. I've dabbled in it a little bit, and I also know that the guide and chapter requirements are terrible. For frame of reference, if you haven't played Fire Emblem 11 or don't know a lot about it, in order to get guide and chapters, you have to have 15 units in your army or less, which means if you want guide and chapters, you have to constantly be killing people. Okay, can you see why that is a horrible thing? Why would they do that? I, want... I, I Okay, I think I know why. It's probably because they didn't expect everyone to reset their game every time someone kicks the bucket. Yes. In fact, the Shozokaga, the original creator of Fire Emblem, in his first five games, that was his core design philosophy. That's why he gave you so many characters. He expected you to continue on if somebody died. And he underestimated the amount of attachment that players would have to their characters. 
Yeah, so, so I I can see why they eventually came up with casual mode and then Mila's turn wheel and the divine pulse and all that kind of stuff. Speaking of, I actually really like the turn wheel and divine pulse like a lot. Yeah. Not because yeah, me too. It, not just because it lets me undo mistakes, which is always nice, but I very quickly discovered how you can use it to manipulate the RNG and that feels so satisfying because of just the sheer number of times RNG has screwed me over in the other games. It is interesting to know what is RNG and what isn't, because I remember I played a Fates paralogue where I was trying to capture a crook with the capture mechanic, Mm -hmm. but one of my guys got a critical instead. I was like, dang it, no! So I, I just, I reset... And, and I used a battle save or something, and I went back. And then he got the crit at the same exact spot, so I thought, okay, these crits are preordained. It's interesting to see like when it's yeah. random and when it's not. What, what I think, at least with Echoes and Three Houses, I, I think, and I don't quote me on this because I haven't actually looked into it too deeply, but what it does is it saves all of your RNG rolls so that every time you make a move, you get a bunch of RNG rolls, and it saves them into a string. And then if you use Divine Pulse, it winds back the string as you wind back your moves. Then this is to prevent you from spamming the same move over and over again in order to try to get a different result. But what that also means is that if you, can, if you know where you have good or bad RNG, you can wind the string back and get rid of it, or use it more effectively, and then make a different move with new RNG. And that that's a lot of how I use it. Let's say I have a 92%er and it misses, and I'm like, okay, I know I have a really bad roll there, so I need to find 100% where I can get rid of it. Or Okay, so if you rewind and use that same attack, it's going to miss again? Yes. Oh, so it's preordained. Kind of. Because like I said, it saves your RNG rolls and then rewinds the RNG string as you go wind your moves back. So if you want to get different rolls, you have to spend the RNG... In- on different moves. Right, right. And it's the same way in both Echoes and Three Houses, and I've found that I can use that to my advantage. Like, do I need a 60%er to hit? Okay, it missed, I'll just wind it back, spend that RNG somewhere else, and try again. Yeah, that's pretty strategic. What a concept for the genre. But the other thing about it is that it's a very resource-intensive thing. Like, if you do it a lot, you're going to run out of Divine Pulses, which I think is a good thing, because... Yeah, yeah, it adds some challenge to it. And I, I have run out of Divine Pulses several times on Maddening because it's Maddening. I doubt that it's a coincidence that they had Phoenix Mode for one game and then dropped it, but also introduced the turn wheel. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like the turn wheel is a good compromise. And the best thing about it is if you really do want that true Fire Emblem experience, you can choose not to use it. And I I have played Echoes like that, and it is it is a lot of fun to play it that way. I haven't played Three Houses like that, though. <laughs> play Three Houses on Maddening without the Divine Pulse. <laughs> I, I might consider it if it was a New Game Plus run because of how much easier it makes it, but uh, New Game Maddening without Divine Pulse? No thank you. It's funny that I, I was spoiled by Divine Pulse because I went back to the mock battle at the beginning of the game and someone got knocked out, and I was like, Oh no, we don't have Divine Pulse. <laughs> yeah, that is, a, that is a stressful feeling. But then they give it to you one map later. And yeah, it's like, they do. Oh, okay. Oh, I had a thought. Well, what was it? What was my two thought? maps later, because you can do some auxiliary battles without the Divine Pulse. 
what was my thought? I had a thought about something related to this, and I can't remember it now. Great. Minute Rice has forgotten what he was going to say. Indeed. But anyway, as much as I do love the older games and how they work, I, I really appreciate Divine Pulse as a convenience feature. And then there's also just the fact that Three Houses is a... It's a game that's very dependent on character investment. Like, you have to invest a lot of time into these characters in order to make them good, which, for me, is like heaven, because one of the things I love about Fire Emblem is the team-building aspect and seeing your units grow over time. And Three Houses is like... It's exactly that, but on an insane scale. But if you lose a unit, that's a lot of investment out the window. So that's that's another reason I really appreciate Divine Pulse. Yeah, I feel like since what you said about how the developers underestimated how much the players would get attached to the units, I think after like 15 or so games, they finally decided to just embrace it and make it the point of the game with the whole house system and teaching the units and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it does feel like that. This is the most character-centric game of the bunch, I'd say. Oh, without question. Like, just the sheer number of supports should say something about it. Hold on just a moment. I had a knock at the door. Uh, You can edit this out later, right? Yeah. All right. Give me just a moment. I'm going to go ahead and pause my recording here. And then PT decided to keep the episode split into two pieces to respect everybody's time. P.T. and Minute Rice's charm both increased as a result of the good tea time. They would continue to talk about it in the next week's BitCast, which you can keep up with if you follow the BitCast on Twitter. (laughs) Yes. The conversation will get even livelier. See you then. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.